Welcome to the Russian Rulers Podcast, Episode 27. Peter Likes to Play War Last week, we saw how Sofia Miloslavskaya became regent and the power broker in Russia, manipulating the brutish Streltsy to achieve her goals. Peter and his mother Natalia witnessed a number of horrific murders of friends and relatives, including Afanasi and Ivan Narishkin and Ardeman Matveyev. Sofia and Natalia were now mortal enemies, and with Sofia in power, Natalia and Peter headed out of Moscow to enjoy the safety of Tsar Alexei's favorite hunting lounge, lodge in the town of Priobrazhenskoy, which was about three miles northeast of Moscow. Lying on the banks of the Yauza River, Priobrazhenskoy was the perfect place for Peter to grow up, away from the memories and intrigues of the capital, and grow, Peter did. Every once in a while he returned to Moscow to perform ceremonial functions, such as greeting visiting dignitaries, signing treaties, and attending religious festivals. He chafed when he was forced to sit through the long ceremonies, so Peter was happy that his trips to Moscow were few and far between. But when he attended an event, Peter was a natural, as Engelbert Kempfer, the secretary of the ambassador of King Charles XI of Sweden, wrote, Both their majesties sat on a silver throne, like a bishop's chair, somewhat raised and covered with red cloth. The Tsars wore robes of silver cloth, woven with red and white flowers. And, instead of scepters, had long golden staves, bent at the end, like bishop's croziers, on which, as on the breastplate of their robbers, their breasts and their caps glittered white, green, and other precious stones. The elder drew his cap down on the floor, sat almost immovable. The younger had a frank and open face, and his young blood rose to his cheeks as often as anyone spoke to him. He constantly looked about, and his great beauty and his lively manner which sometimes brought the Muscovite magnates into confusion, struck all of us so much that had he been an ordinary youth and no imperial personage, we would have gladly have laughed and talked with him. The elder was seventeen and the younger sixteen years old. Now, of course, this wasn't true, as Peter was only eleven, but he looked so much bigger. Camphor goes on to say, when the Swedish ambassador gave his letters of credence, both Tsars rose from their places, but Ivan, the elder, somewhat hindered the proceedings through not understanding what was going on, and gave his hand to be kissed at the wrong time. Peter was so eager that he did not give the secretaries the usual time for raising him and his brother from their own seats and touching their heads. He jumped up at once, put his own hand to his hat, and began to quickly ask the usual question. Is His Royal Majesty Charles of Sweden in good health? He had to be pulled back until the elder brother had a chance to speak. Others wrote of many similar encounters with Peter and his brother Ivan. While the Narishkins were minimized at court by Sofia and the Miloslavskis, Peter thrived under the exile that was imposed on him and his mother. He didn't have to deal with the court intrigue, which was fine and well with the boy. Natalia was always paranoid about what Sofia's next move would be, which was very wise. 
She kept her connections alive with other dissatisfied boyars and the patriarch, but she was careful and circumspect as so as not to give an appearance of plotting against the regent, lest she be brought up on charges of treason. All she wanted was to protect her son, who she knew could outlast his sickly brother Ivan. Sophia was very concerned about the secession, so she hurriedly married Ivan off, hoping that somehow he could father a boy, which would allow her to rid herself of Peter. She chose Proskovia Saltikova, a member of a very well-respected boyar family. They quickly had a child, but unfortunately for Sophia, it was a daughter. Years later, this could have been significant, but not in the Muscovy of the 1680s. One could only imagine how relieved the Nurishkins were when they heard that Ivan and his wife had a daughter. In 1684, the Nurishkins had a horrible fright of their own when Peter, now 12, developed the measles, which, in, which was, in the day, a potentially lethal disease. They waited for days as the young boy Tsar battled a high fever. But Peter, he was no ordinary child. He was tall and much sturdier than many of his siblings. He was to survive the measles and continue to grow physically, mentally, and emotionally. Peter settled into his life in the town of Priobrazhenskoy. While he was tutored regularly, there was one subject that most interested the boy, and that subject was war. A parade ground had been constructed, which Peter used along with his playmates to drill like military men. He also began to requisition real armament, which was to practice. So, you know, he wanted to go out there and play with the real thing and not just toys. Sophia saw this as a way, let's placate the young Tsar. She, some say foolishly, did not feel that Peter's war games would later prove to be a threat to her regency. Oh, how mistaken she was. Peter was now 14, and his entourage swelled to 300 boys. Some were sons of boyars who were sent to join him when he was only five. Some came at the urging of their noble fathers, who figured that by getting close to Peter, they could advance their family should he become sole ruler. Seeing the disparity in health and vigor between Peter and his half-brother Ivan convinced many about the eventuality of the younger Tsar's accession. The other group of boy soldiers came from every walk of life. Some were the son of merchants, clerks, stable grooms, and even serfs. Peter had no use for titles and hereditary rights. He believed in the merit system, another break from the old Muscovite traditions. He had barracks built where Peter and his closest friends would train daily as soldiers. He named his 300-boy army the Priobrazhenskaya Regiment, which was to guard the Tsar until 1917, much like the Praetorian Guard served the Roman emperors. Soon, more boys joined Peter, which forced him to set up a second regiment in the nearby town of Semyonsvskoy. Lest you think that Peter lorded over his comrades, think again. The now six-foot-tall teenager took some of the lowliest positions, like drummer boy, moving up in rank based on performance. He ate, slept, and worked just like everyone else in this regiment, 
garnering no special treatment. He was one of them, and the respect and loyalty these growing boys would have for Peter would serve him well for the rest of his life. Not satisfied with doing things the traditional Russian way, Peter sought advice from Westerners who could be found in the outskirts of Moscow, as the Russian people did not want foreigners in their midst to influence their carefully guarded old ways. He found himself in the German quarters, where he enlisted the help of a number of men trained in the Western style of warfare. Sophia was given regular updates on Peter's activities, but she remained unconcerned, because as long as the 20,000 Streltsy were on her side, what threat could 600 boys be? On one of his trips to the German quarters, Peter came across an older man named Franz Timmerman. This meeting would set into motion events that would fundamentally change Russia, especially its expansionist policies. In June of 1688, Peter and Franz, while exploring a royal estate in the town of Ismailovov, came upon a locked building. In it, they found a boat. But it was not just any boat, not one that Peter had ever seen before. It was not the barge-like ships that the Russians had used for centuries to navigate the many rivers. It had a deep, rounded hull, which aroused the Tsar's curiosity. According to legend, the following conversation between Peter and Franz took place. What kind of boat is this? Peter asked Franz. It's an English boat. Well, what is it used for? Is it better than our Russian boats? Timmerman replied, If you had a new mast or sails on it, it would not only go with the wind, but against the wind. Peter was stunned. Against the wind? Can it be possible? Peter immediately ordered that the partly rotted ship be repaired. He chose a Dutchman named Karsten Brandt to head the repairs. After fixing the ship, which supposedly Peter had a hand in, he was eager to give it a try. The young Tsar was enthralled and began to take the boat out daily to practice sailing. His love of the water because of this incident was to mold Peter and fuel his quest to find a warm water port for Russia in order to become a maritime nation capable of bringing Russia greatness through trade like many of the Western powers. All this Western influence was beginning to trouble Peter's mother, Natalia. While she had been exposed to Western thoughts, this was getting excessive in her opinion. She was concerned that if he went too far to the West in his style and appearance, that the Russian people would reject him. Now, even Sophia was concerned as the Romanov dynasty could be in jeopardy if Peter would not be acceptable, as Ivan was obviously incapable of siring a son given all the daughters his wife gave birth to. Now, there's a lot of speculation that Ivan was completely incapable of fathering any child, given his numerous infirmaries. Some say that his children were not his, but I think this is just pure conjecture with a possible hint of truth. Natalia knew that her now 16-year-old son needed to be reined in, and the way to do it was to marry him off. The chosen bride, a devout Orthodox woman of 20, uneducated with little ambition but to bear children, was married to Peter on January 27, 1689. 
Her name was Eudosha Lopkahina, and while she bore him a healthy son, Alexis, soon after marriage, Peter grew to loathe her so much that when his second son, Alexander, died in infancy, he did not even attend the funeral. Next week, we recount the regency of Peter's half-sister, Sophia, culminating in the crisis that was to eventually lead to Sophia's downfall and Peter's ascendancy to the power of the throne. Now, for this week in Russian history, for the week of November 7th through the 13th, we have three births this week. In 1818, Ivan Turgenev, the Russian writer. Three years later, in 1821, Fyodor Dostoevsky, the Russian novelist. And in 1879, Leon Trotsky, the Russian revolutionary, were all born. In 1917, the Bolsheviks stormed the Winter Palace. In 1920, Patriarch Tikhon issues a decree that leads to the formation of the Russian Orthodox Church outside Russia. In 1927, Leon Trotsky is in the news again as he is expelled from the Soviet Communist Party, leaving Joseph Stalin in undisputed control of the Soviet Union. In 1941, during World War II, temperatures around Moscow dropped to 12 degrees Celsius, minus 12 degrees Celsius, as the Soviet Union launches ski troops for the first time against the freezing German forces near the city. And in 1982, in the Soviet Union, Yuri Andropov becomes the general secretary of the Soviet Communist Party's Central Committee, succeeding Leonid Brezhnev. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. A special shout-out to Keen, a student of Russian history, for the kind words he sent me about the podcast. I really appreciate it. So thank you, Keen. Now, don't forget to visit the iTunes App Store and download the Russian Rulers app. And please, visit the websites at russianrulers.podhoster.com. Become a Facebook friend at Russian Rulers History Podcast. Ask a question. Make a suggestion. And please leave a comment. And as always, до свидания и спасибо большое.